This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Imagine this. You're a senior executive. You're poring over spreadsheets at work, and you suddenly start remembering your past life a century ago. What would you do? Meet Dina Miriam. She recalls not one, but multiple past lives that impact her current life in mysterious and beautiful ways. You'll hear about her work in the interfaith movement, working with the United Nations, how past lives can help you understand your passions and purpose. Plus, in this age of conflict and separation in the United States, her thoughts on collective karma and what it means for our future. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Dina, it is such an honor to have you on the show today. I'm happy to be here. Let's start off with how all of this got started. You have experienced these past life memories and and this book that you wrote just beautifully describes in, in great detail, which I find very fascinating. But take us back to the first moment when you realize there's something there's something going on here that may or may not be uh, the experience of the people that surround you. Well, I, as a child, I had glimpses, and I think most children do. Um, as I watched my own children when they were young, that clearly there were things they brought with them from the past. But children don't don't make note of this in any way. So it wasn't until um, I began a serious meditation practice when I was about 20 um, that after some years of seriously meditating, regularly meditating, seriously meditating, I began to have a, have dreams. Um, and that was really the opening of the door for me. I I kept dreaming of a house. Um, and it was about the time that I moved into my home. I had two small kids. And I would dream of this house. It was always the same house. Uh, and it always left me with a feeling of longing and sadness. And I know that, that there was something about my the house that I had moved into that triggered that. Because as soon as I had walked into the house, there was a very grand feeling to it. Uh, and it, it just, as soon as I walked in, I, I said, I have to have this house. And then the dream started, and they went on for a few years, and I couldn't make any sense of it. I was doing my meditation practice, having these dreams. Um, and then uh, I, a man entered my life who began to talk to me in Russian and talk to me about Russia, and that triggered the memories. And I began to see myself as a child uh, around 1904, 1905 in Russia. Um, and then uh, in spurts, uh, often it would come in meditation. I would find myself in a movie uh, watching scenes and and, um, and remembering people. And uh, a lot of emotion came up around it. So it wasn't just a, a detached viewing. I was, I was there experiencing what I was seeing. So I could see which character was me 
it was very interesting because I had to also at the same time function in the in the everyday world. You know, I was a single mom at that time with two growing boys, and I had a job, and I'd be having these memories come up, uh, which would bring up a lot of emotion, um, and still having to function. And so that was, and I and I, you know, wondered if I had you know maybe been meditating too much and gone off the deep end. <laughs> These, the, the thought did arise <laughs> to me because I had a few spiritual friends, but you know, it, it sounds funny when you say I'm having all these past life memories and I couldn't talk to my family about it at all. They just were not open at all. So um, pretty much I had to just go through the experience alone. And uh, I found myself being something of a detective, kind of looking for, uh, for clues um, when I would see these things, so I could I could really place it in time and and um, and figure out where these things were taking place, the things that I was seeing, and uh, so you know, over time, a whole narrative, at least of my birth just previous to this, emerged, and um, it made it made total sense. The more I, the more I reflected on it, the more I saw, the more I said, you know, this is true. This is, I really felt that that was the life that I had lived. I remembered my death. I remembered meeting my guru in my previous birth. He had already passed when I was born, uh, or the year after I was born. And that had always been a source of sadness to me. And when I, when I remembered that I had met him, it was, it was, it just shifted everything for me. So that was the beginning. And then of course, um, I kept going back further in time, you know, Everything would be, nothing would happen for another year. And I thought, well, you know, I've seen that. Um, okay. And then a year later, I'd go through the process again with the life just previous. The interesting thing is that it was all sequenced as I would go back to the life just before, and then to the life just before, and then to the life just before. So it went back to seven lives about, I don't know, five, six hundred years. Um, and it all made total sense. And I saw the connection, how one life kind of naturally led into the next. And there were themes that emerged that still shape my life today. So it was a real teaching for me, a very great, um, gave me much greater understanding of, of my own work in this world and about the things that I, but it also changed my sense of identity. At the end of the book, I have this poem which sort of expresses who am I? Am I that one or that one or this one? Who who am I really? All of them or none of them? You can look at it either way. It's so fascinating that I mean I'm I'm very focused on what's our current lifetime, what's you know, what's what's your job? At, at least most of my life was focused on what's your education, what's your job, what's your career, your family. And there's this fascinating moment in your book where you were poring over spreadsheets and and it was after this whole beautiful narrative of of this life in Russia. And suddenly you you, you're, you realize you're you've been looking at spreadsheets for um, a very uh, senior position in in a communications firm. Can you tell us about what it was like to to not just live in two different worlds, but two different times or multiple times. And, and how, do you, how do you balance that? What was it like for you? Well, at that time, um, 
I, I had seen two very um, traumatic times in my previous birth. One was at the age of 14, I was put on a train, left my parents at the station with two young siblings and sent out of Russia during the revolution. My parents saying that they would join us. And of course, they never did. And um, and when I had that memory, I remembered my deep attachment to my mother, a love for her. And I immediately felt her presence and began a communication with her. Um, and that was happening as I was, um, you know, working, coming into management, which is a family firm. My father, who, who founded the firm, wanted me to do more than writing, which had been my, my job, and to come into the management of the company. So finance was not something I really understood. So he had assigned somebody to help me with understand um, finance. This was the man who began speaking to me in Russian and calling me by Russian name and who I found in my Russian life. So he was he was the one teaching me finance. Of course, he had no memory of this. I mean, he was a very, very uh, um, um, accomplished businessman. And the spiritual, he had no inkling about the spiritual journey that I was on. And so with meditation, none of that appealed to him. So, so he would be, he would be um, going through the spreadsheets and, and I would be remembering him in Nazi Germany because that was the second part of that life, go, being sent into Europe and then experiencing Nazi Germany. And, um, uh, and him being a, a Jewish professor who was um, taken by the Nazis after helping many Jews escape. And so I'd be looking at this African-American businessman, remembering him as a Jewish professor who had been taken by the Nazis and trying to keep it all together. It was, it was, um, it, it was very strange to be, to be functioning in such different realities, you know, to be seeing him in a different light, not being able to say, God, you died in a concentration camp. <laughs> You know, but you know, he, he said things to me that just um, confirmed what I was seeing. You know, he he. So so I I had seen that uh, he had been a professor at the University of Heidelberg, and so a physics professor. And so I had never heard of that university. I came into him one day and I said, "Was there such a?" place in Germany is the University of Heidelberg. Oh, he looked at me and he said, oh, it's a very great and famous university. And I said to him, would it have been possible for for, for a Jewish professors to have held positions there? Oh, he said, they had a lot of Russian Jewish professors. This is exactly what I had seen. And then and then I said, uh, was it a center of physics? physics? Oh, he said, it was one of the great centers. So everything that I saw, he would confirm for me. And And this is what made me trust what I was seeing because it, it kept being, and then I eventually I went to Europe and looked for places that I had seen uh, in my memories and found them. Uh, I only did that with the previous, you know, with the, that life in Russia. After that, I just accepted what I saw, what I remembered, um, and tried to understand it in the context of my current life. How did knowing all of this information impact your current life? What were, what were some of the themes that maybe helped you to either get over some of these emotions or understand what was going on that you were feeling? Well, there's, you know, we, we um, in many, if you look, if you would see many of your past births, there are things that are left undone. Um, 
I had felt in my previous, there were, there were many things that were left undone. The two themes that emerged for me that, that, have, uh, that I've been engaged in in one way or another, uh, one of them has been interfaith work, uh, trying to create dialogue ac- across cultures. Uh, there were several lives when I found myself in the position. One of them was in Japan, and one of them was in India during the invasion of the of the um, Islamic invasions, um, where uh, where I had to bridge cultures. Um, and in Japan, it was trying to create peace among the clans, and that's it's interesting because I had founded this global peace initiative of women in in two thousand and one, uh, when I had exp- when I had um, after I had had some of the memories, but not of those particular lives. So I found myself doing this work without consciously knowing that this had been something that had, had been that I had been doing for centuries. The other theme that emerged was um, the need to empower women. I, uh, I remembered at different times not f- feeling confident in my own ability as a woman and, and women not having the voice you know, not having an opportunity to really express themselves spiritually. Um, and there was one life as the daughter of a Sufi in Persia, ancient Persia, where I was the only child, the only daughter, and I kept feeling insufficient as being the daughter and, and thinking my father had wished I had been a son so that he could have a successor. And so there were the, the, these themes had stayed quiet within me. But when I look at how I founded this this NGO to give a global platform to women's spiritual leaders. It all made sense. And then in Africa, how I had found this woman, Shaman, who had hidden in the jungle, who also played a very big role to me in showing me um, what a woman could be, what a woman could achieve spiritually. So those were the themes, the, the, the peace, the, the, the interfaith, the um, bridging cultures, and then the theme of empowering women. And so it all made sense. It's almost like this life brings together strands from several lives, maybe five, six, seven lives in the past. Finally, the conditions are ripe for me to be able to achieve what my heart had wanted to achieve earlier. That's so fascinating and so very complex, too, when you really dive into very it. Very complex. You know, when I looked back and I thought, it's it's such a complex weaving, a tapestry. And to really understand the law of, of cause and effect, it's a very complex law, but it works mathematically. You know, I wondered, why was I born in Russia? And then I, re- I found that I had been born in the American South before that. And there's something that happened in that life that led me to be born in Russia. And then I thought, well, why was I born in the American South? I don't feel an affinity with that. And then I remembered I'd been born in Africa and that my a son in that life had been still sold into slavery and brought to the new world. And so I was born here searching in search of him. And so that's how we, it's nothing is accidental. Nothing with, is without a cause. There's, everything has an earlier beginning. And it's the past that shapes everything about our life today, except it may not just be the immediate past it could be several lifetimes earlier that something was started that needed to find fulfillment or its continuation in this life. It's a very complex process. I want to talk more about that. Um, but one question that's been on my mind is, 
we we all have free will and at least for me and we were just talking about how this podcast came to be and i being so introverted and shy and not really wanting to share my voice on a at the time pretty controversial topic i'd say things have gotten better now um i i didn't really want to create a podcast uh, i didn't want to be you know a speaker i didn't want to be this person who's kind of putting myself out there and so i can imagine a you know a timeline where i said no to that opportunity because i was scared so what what happens it seems like you've you followed along maybe you said yes maybe you said no to opportunities but what happens if if you know maybe there was a a point in time when you could have said no i i don't want to be a public figure and and do this interfaith work because of whatever you know doubts fears or uncertainties you had what what happens then i think it finds f- fulfillment in a future t- at a future time if one is not ready if one is not ready then the the time you'll have to wait until the until you are ready in other words, you had a certain spiritual experience that gave you also a certain responsibility. Because when you have these experiences, I also had a, a lot of trepidation in putting in coming out with this book, and I, I can talk about that a little later. But um, I felt a sense of responsibility when you're given certain experiences. It's not just for your own learning; it's it's to share them in the hope that somebody else gains something from it. But if you're not ready for that responsibility, you turn away and it will come to you again in the future when you are ready. It's reassuring. And also, it also makes you think, well, why not just do it now? Then you'll, then you're setting up some future lifetime for, you know, further work or whatever it may be. That's the overachiever in me speaking, but, but that's, that's true. Coming up, you'll hear more from Dina about how it was difficult for her to share her experience in this book and also how you can consciously create your future. Are you interested in getting your own intuitive reading? Are you wondering how you can align more with your purpose? I offer introductory sessions to my Discover Your Purpose readings and coaching. As part of the All Possibilities community, you get 10% off the intro session. You get a one-on-one phone call with me where I'll do an assessment of your life and give you an intuitive reading on the highest guidance for you at this time. You'll get actionable steps that you can get started on to create the life you want. Just use All Possibilities 2018 as the promo code. That's All Possibilities 2018. Visit beingmypurpose.com for more information on my services. Dina, you had mentioned that there was some trepidation in sharing your story on such a public stage. Can you tell us more about what that was like, especially given your business background? Well, there were, there were um, two aspects of it. One was there are some very personal things in the book. For example, I recalled uh, A Life in Africa, which was three lives back, 
um, when there was a um, during the slave trade when there was a, a, a an attack on our village and my son was taken and I was raped and killed. In describing that rape, I thought, oh my God, I'm sharing something so very personal. There were a few things like that over time that that I experienced, and so when I put it all together, and initially it was just for my own learning to see what patterns would emerge. I was having these experiences, and I said, "Well, I better record them and then look at them and see what 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 the value is in in all of this." And a, a very close friend of mine, who was a colleague at work, not on the spiritual path, but open-minded, and was very intrigued by my work and and by my commitment to the spiritual life. She got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she said, you're writing a book on past lives. I'd really love to read it. And so I gave it to her, not knowing how she would react. I thought, okay, now she might think I'm just crazy. I've gone off. You know, This is what meditation has done to Dina. (laughs) And she was so moved, and she was given so much comfort at the end of her life. She subsequently died of pancreatic cancer. But she said to me, Dina, you've got to publish this. This has really helped me see that it's not the end. And she said, I've I've really thought very deeply about this, and it makes sense. And so I was very encouraged by that. I shared it with another friend who had the same experience. And so I thought, okay, so now I'm just going to go out with this. Um, Nobody in, in my family would understand it. As a matter of fact, nobody in my family knows about the book. Really? Right. Wow. <laughs> you know, they know that I, ha- I have this NGO and I do this work, but they don't understand it and they never ask any questions. Dina's got this NGO that she works on. She <laughs> runs around the world organizing conferences. We don't quite understand what she does. <laughs> They're very business-minded. So um, a few people, word got out, a few people in the office now, my, among my spiritual network, people are reading the book, and it's very positive response. But a few people in the workplace, um, in my family business, have heard about it and immediately w- went to Amazon and ordered the book. And I felt like saying, mm, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> but they did. <laughs> wow. Three of them went and got the book and said, Dina, we want to have a conversation with you. We're going to have a little book club. Well, I never heard a word from them after. Oh, no. <laughs> I never pursued it. I didn't ask them if, you know, I just thought maybe it was too much for them. Maybe they read the first chapter and that was it. Uh, so, you know, I don't push my beliefs on others. I just share my experiences. If they're helpful, if they're of value to you, wonderful. Uh, and so, you know, I've gotten more comfortable now in talking about it. But initially, people said to me, even among my spiritual friends, Maybe you should use a pseudonym. I said, well, what, what's the value in that? And people can't ask me. I mean, I, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I decided also that it was time because talking about reincarnation today is not like it was 30 years ago. I read a, a, a poll that 25% of American, American Christians believe in rebirth. That's a lot of people. And so, and that, you know, I mean, it's in in... In the East, it's very easy to talk about. It's very much accepted. But in America, it's it's becoming much more accepted. You know, karma has become just part of mainstream. It's because of the whole uh, meditation is now mainstream. And so I think many of the um, uh, concepts that we live with can be spoken about more openly. I also think that people are looking at death in a new way. There are these 
examples of people who've had near-death experiences, people, surgeons even, heart surgeon, there was one who had that experience and talking about it, and then there are death cafes on, on the internet now. So it may be, as scientists, physicists, discover these other dimensions, which is what's where they're going, um, they will see death as just moving into another dimension. So I think we're, we're on the verge of a breakthrough, which will really have an impact on how we look at our, our lives. If we can if we can shake off the fear of death. That's a really big topic. It's a big topic. There were, when I was reading uh, each of the chapters, there was so much emotion and and sadness even for me reading it kind of in the back of my mind, knowing that, that this was real, that this, you know, this person existed. It may not have been you in your current form, but that, soul existed and and some of them some of the ways people died were also pretty tragic and violent and you had mentioned this being raped and and killed how do you how do you reconcile that the the fact that some that another human being did something to you in that past life to to bring about death is is that a positive? Is it a negative? Does it mean anything? What? How do you? There are many unanswered questions. Um, for example, when I when I remember that, I thought to myself, I've always had a fear of rape. Some people never think about it, but since I was a, a twenty year old, you know, a young woman, that's something that I've always been very conscious of. That it's almost my greatest fear of being raped. And. Um, but I don't know whether I've ever met that being again, you know, whether we've had any interaction. Uh, I never even gave much thought to who that might have been. There are a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, a lot of pe- people come up to me and say, have you found me in your past? And I, and I, I say, no, I, I only receive what's been given. And there are some people that I've recognized, but there are a lot of people that I can't place. And, and there are a lot of things that I can't, um, I, that I haven't been able to follow through, like the example of the rape. So, what, what was that little interaction that was there? What did that did that lead to anything at a, in a, at a subsequent life? What I have been able to see, and this has been an enormous source of comfort for me, is that in every life there's been a spiritual teacher, and those spiritual teachers have had a lasting impact on me, and I still feel their presence. I often think about that. Woman shaman Dee Dee in the, in the jungles. Sometimes I just hear her voice, and and the Swami that saved me from dying in the Ganga, that also was a very emotional moment in life. Right when I just threw myself into the Ganga because of a love affair, um, that Swami saved me. I know that he's somewhere in my or in my proximity, and that he's somewhere watching over me. I wondered if he wasn't. The Sufi father that I had, who came was reborn because he had such a fatherly feeling toward me, and so knowing that I've I've had these interactions with these great beings, uh, really w- it was the greatest uh, gift from all these remem- memories. Coming into contact with those beings again, uh, and knowing that 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 bond is eternal. 
And the one thing that that struck me is that the love continues through many lives. When there's a profound love, whether it's a human love or a love of divine love, it doesn't pass away. You, that's what you take with you. There are certain things you take with you, and there's certain things you shed when you move from one body to another. S- certain things have come to completion. They're not needed anymore. You leave them behind. But something hasn't come to completion, like uh, your work, which needs to evolve, and it is an evolution. That you take with you. Uh, the blessings from great beings that you've been exposed to, deep love, loves that you had, those you carry with you. And they they move with you and you encounter them again. How about the flip side, which is birth? And and I'm thinking if, let's say, and I have a four-month-old baby, so now I'm looking at my baby and thinking, what kind of karmic uh, relationship did we have in the past, if anything? And what does it mean when you kind of put on this spiritual or past life lens through which we see everyone now, like who the people we interact with, our family, our friends, how, how would you recommend that someone kind of take these experiences that you've had and, and live consciously in our current life? Well, I can give the example um, I had of my oldest son, who, when he was young, had a very deep affinity with India. And he also was a drummer from a young age, loved playing dr- Indian drums, tabla, studied tabla, studied other South Indian drums, mudenga. Uh, and then he, and I saw that he, had, that was what he carried from his past, that he had lived in India, and then he had been an accomplished tabla player uh, in the 1920s. Then he went through a time when he, after college, he had to make a choice he also had an interest in neuroscience, and he had to choose whether to go on for, to neuroscience or whether to get a grant making drums, which he, he didn't know what to do. I saw from his past that he, while he was a drummer, he had a keen interest in Western science. That, that was a developing part of him in his previous birth, this interest in Western science. So I watched him go through these things and um, try to not interfere. And in the end, he put aside the drums. Didn't They really kind of faded away. And he went into neuroscience, and now he's a neuroscience researcher. And so he carried with him from his past birth something that lasted for maybe 20 years, actually. And there was a moment when he could have gone in that direction again and repeated it. But his soul let him to follow the direction of what his aspiration was. Because you do set your aspirations for the next birth. You, you, they, they, they begin forming through your life something that you... Conditions are not ripe. You can't just um, um, kind of completely switch gears, maybe, or whatever reason, the conditions aren't ripe. But the interest begins to develop. And then toward the end of your life, you begin sowing the seeds of what's to come. So I, what I say is watch your children closely. I saw different things in both of my children, actually. And they later went, chose different paths for themselves. And so I thought that, so I saw that they were carrying remnants from the past and that they fell away naturally because they weren't needed anymore. And I find myself thinking 
more about the future now than the past. I would say for 20 years, I was locked in this, this, this um, experience of just recalling past lives. It's not that it doesn't happen now, but, I'm, but I, see much, I, I see the formation of the future now. And I say to myself, it's, it's, it's something that I, I um, reflect on a lot. Is the future really forming itself, or, or will I have choices when I get there? How does it work? I know that I, I feel myself setting the foundation for a future birth, and it all makes sense, but I, but I don't know how detailed that will be. I think it's just an outline, and the details will be filled in later. That's a really interesting feeling to have. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What, does what? How does that make you feel? Like like you're like you want to do as much as possible to kind of set the groundwork for this next life, or is it more you can just see the patterns converging in some way? That's what it is. It, mm -hmm. It's not a conscious act, except in some way it is in that. I want to resolve whatever difficult relationships I have in this. Yeah, I've had a difficult relationship with some family members that, that I'm working on resolving. You don't want to, you know, that's what I mean about how, how it can change the way you live your life. Because if you know that you're working off karma from the past, so the cause and effect, causes that were set in motion long ago are now manifesting. And you're also setting in motion certain things that will manifest at a later time. So to be more conscious about what you're setting in motion, you know, in, in just your relationships, in the work that you do, um, you know, I know that I'm not, I'm not a business person. My family had a business and I had to go to work and it included writing. So I naturally kind of fell into that. And then fortunately, I was able to develop the interfaith work, which was my real calling. But the business world is not something that appeals to me. Uh, my mother, who never could work, she was a stay-at-home mother, loves the business world. And I know she'll be a very successful businesswoman in her next life. Because that was her, that's what she wanted for her daughters, to be successful businesswomen. And she's got that love for business so I can already see her setting the patterns for the future on on the business side how how do you feel business is evolving along with spirituality maybe not necessarily in your family business but business in general there there is a change growing up on in the business world. And I think a lot of it is due to the whole mindfulness movement, uh, which, which, I've, which I've been ambivalent about because it, to me it, it kind of um, secularizes the whole practice and, and makes it more focused on efficiency. But a lot of companies are embracing it. A lot of CEOs uh, are beginning or are, are doing med med some meditation practice. And meditation changes you. It just does. <laughs> if you do it in any serious way, it changes your perception and your understanding of things. And so 
the more it, meditation is it comes into the business world, I think we'll see cha- the more we'll see changes. And the other uh, change of which, which is happening is companies are are more sensitive now to environmental issues. Not all companies, but the sustainable sustainability movement is becoming mainstream. And I think companies realize that they have to get with it. Climate change is happening, whether you, you want to say it publicly or not, it is happening. And uh, change has to take place. And if you wait until the, if you're at the end of the line, you're going to be at the end of the line. If, you, if you're at the forefront and making changes, then you'll be in much better position. So it's an interesting phenomenon because even though it's, it's kind of gone quiet, you know, businesses are taking action to prepare for climate change, which with the looking at sustainability, they're looking at what they can do, um, you know, to reduce waste. So a lot of changes are taking place. And I think this is accompanying the spiritual movement. And so we see how when the, the more the politicians fail, the more corporations have to step up in a way. This is all recent. This is like in the last five years that I see, I see these changes coming to the business world. And so you could talk about things now that you couldn't talk about previously. I don't know about past lives yet, but certainly you can talk about um, spirituality. You can talk about mindfulness, meditation, yoga. You can talk about, um, you know, just just interconnection. It's become a, a mainstream word. And what does that mean? You can talk about environmental issues. So I feel better about about keeping a foot in the business world than I did 20, 30 years ago when I felt completely out of place. <laughs> it's much easier today. Yeah, I'm thankful for that as well. And yeah. looking forward to seeing what does come out when more of us awaken and, and more of us uh, who operate in the business world kind of bring in these other ideas, truths, values into the work that we do. I think I think a lot will happen with the new generation, with young people coming into business. There's a there's an energy in the younger generation that that uh, that I'm very excited about, and and that's what gives me hope. Coming up, you'll hear from Dina about a topic you may be secretly interested in talking about, which is death, and also how do you perceive birth in terms of your own family and relationships. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Welcome to Hashtag Moms Got This. Get your mom life fix four days a week. I'm Michelle Park. And I'm Stacey Eagle. Together, we chatted up with a new boss mom each week about her journey and why she's got this. Make sure to subscribe and show us some love on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever the best podcasts are found. And remember, Mom's Got This. Dina, you've covered so many different topics that, and I I could just go on and on with questions for you, but, you know, you had mentioned encountering someone who's an African-American who was a Jewish person in a previous life. 
Um, you've talked about how all of this uh, cause and effect impacts their lives and your life today. Can you talk about, in this context of conflict in the world, racism, all of these things, what is happening in our society today and how does that relate to karma? It's a very complex question, something that I have been thinking about a lot because in the recalling of my own memories, I've seen how karma plays out on the individual level uh, as a microcosm. But in the in the larger picture, as a collective, we also have to reap the results of our actions. What our nation does, we reap the results of. So I've thought, you know, the, 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 the racism that's emerged now obviously is, is something that has uh, not been finished from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, from the whole experience that we had uh, with, with uh, slavery. Um, there, there are things, uh, and having lived in the American South in the, in the pre-Civil War time in America, I've been reflecting, with no answers really, on would people have to be reborn somewhere, right? So those people who, who held um, racist notions then have been reborn somewhere. Have, maybe those, no, those feelings have not been worked out. If you look at the, the Nazism, which is coming back, the neo-Nazis, the Nazis were reborn somewhere, and they brought with them those prejudices. Um, if you look at what's happened to our country, I've thought a lot because I've traveled around the world so much. I, I, I was in Iran two years ago with a delegation of American spiritual leaders trying to, to see what we could do to heal the Iranian-U.S. relations. And there, of course, they talked a lot about how the U.S. had taken out their democratically elected government in the 1950s. It's not the only time we've done that, but that's one specific case of us taking out the government because – you know, we've just had interference in our election. So we've just experienced what we've done to other countries. Well, isn't that a, a karmic return? The, the, the disturbing thing for me is that we're not having reflection as a country on what we've done in the past that has created the situation for us. So are we going to stop interfering in other countries now because we now know what it's like? <laughs> You know, I mean, I wish somebody would come forward and say, you know, hey, you know, we've done this and we shouldn't do it again if, because now we know how it feels when we have another government interfering in our, election, our democratic process. So if you don't learn from the lessons, they repeat themselves. Um, so that's, that's in terms of the political situation today. We've interfered in Latin America a lot and now... Have we been responsible for creating all the violence, you know, the drug trafficking? You know, what has our participation been in that? And now we're having all these refugees coming to, to seek uh, refuge here and we're turning them away. So what are the karmic implications for that? What have we done in the past has created the situation? And what are we creating for the future in the way we handle that situation? Those are the, those are the questions because we can't change the past. What we've done, we've done. But we can recognize it and make amends for it and not repeat those mistakes. So I think our behavior in Central America over the past uh, 20, 30, 40 years 
is something that we need to look at. And we're not as a, as, as a nation. What we've done in other parts of the world, particularly now with Iran, I mean, have we ever apologized for having taken it? We, were, we did this with the British, taking out their democratically elected government so that, because they wanted to nationalize the oil so that we could have access to their oil. So we have to go through some deep reflection as a country. Uh, and that's what I hope, that's what I try to do when I, when I do my, you know, gatherings and circle discussions. We, try, we want to generate these reflections among people who are willing to look and see and, and, and go through changes in themselves. The racism situation is, is very complex. And um, I'm, I'm still doing a lot of thinking about that, how we, how we can neutralize that. Because people who held those feelings in the past, well, they come back in new bodies with those same feelings. And so how do, you, how do you change people? How do you get them to see the way to change people, actually, if they could remember <laughs> that they, you know, if, if people who believe, you know, the white uh, uh, supremacists, if they could see that they had been black in some life, as I see that I was, um, maybe, maybe it would change. You know, if you could see that, that the, the one you, you think poorly of, you have been in that situation because that's the way it works. You get to experience everything. Do you recommend that people do past life regressions or do you think it kind of just, it happened to you because of karmic reasons? I say in the book that I don't recommend it because you don't know what you're going to unleash and what you what you're meant to see, I feel, will emerge natu- uh, naturally. But many people have come up to me and say, told me that past life regression helped them enormously. And I and now I can see how that could be. If you have a, a phobia, if you have an issue, um, and if you go back and see the cause of it, maybe you can overcome it that way. So I I say not to pursue it for curiosity. Oh, I want to know who I was. You know, maybe I was Mary Queen of Scots. But if there's a if there's a deep need, then of course, you know, if somebody can help you remember something about your past that is relevant for your life now, that could be very useful. You know, but even if you can't remember, I think just knowing that we've all been in all kinds of bodies in all places, which is the interconnection. I remember once I was doing a um, a conference in Africa with young people. And it was at this time that I recalled my African life. And I had one child in that life that was stolen, but, but two were survived. And I looked around and I said, I wonder if any of these young people are descendants of those two children. And then I realized all the lives I've had, all the children I've had, all the descendants that I've had in different bodies... And that's the true meaning of the human family, is that we've all been related to each other at some point. You know, so, so you know, it, it's, um, it's like a big family that's constantly competing and fighting with itself. But, you know, eventually the family has to make peace with itself if it's to flourish. 
What would you recommend to someone who's listening who wants to kind of understand their life from this perspective? Maybe they don't have to get a past life regression or understand past lives, but what what can they draw upon this conversation to see their life in a different light? And, and for example, I'm thinking um, one thing that struck me was how you had mentioned your son and maybe uh, in your life too – these different passions that you have or different talents, natural talents or innate talents or like a specific message or advocacy work that you feel so strongly about just needs to come out. And there's a lot of talk now in the education world about passions and cultivating that and um, and what that could mean. How, how would you recommend that someone kind of look at their life if they're taking stock of either their career um, or their passions? You know, what, what would you say to them? I think it's important to have some uh, time for reflection, to sort of um, look at your passions, look at uh, what your interests have been, what your skills have been, what your aspirations are. Aspirations are important. They may not be fulfilled all in this life, but they kind of guide you forward. And so setting your aspirations, uh, that's an important thing. So I think just having reflective time. For me, it's all been through meditation. Meditation has been the centerpiece of my life, and I attribute it to everything that's come to me. Uh, But for other people, it's just um, introspection, just being more mindful instead of living kind of unconsciously and reactively to what comes, trying more consciously to shape your life and hold your aspirations. So I think introspection and reflection, um, and then recognizing that you have many opportunities to succeed and that you have experienced many things in the past, whether you remember them or not. You know, we've all uh, been to so many places and had so many different types of experiences that have shaped who we are. And there's some comfort in knowing that. You know, if you don't have a lot of wealth in this life, most likely, for sure, you've had it another time. But, you know, okay, so you've had it, you've died. It's going to happen to the people who have the most wealth today. They're going to die, and who knows where they're going to be reborn as. They're not going to have the same situation that they have today. People get to experience different things in different lives. One time you've been very, very beautiful. The next life, maybe not. One time you've had a wonderful marriage. The next life, maybe not. You know, you've had great health. Maybe this time not. So knowing that you have to deal with your current uh, situation. But in the past, you've experienced it differently. And in the future, you'll experience it differently. So having the the um, bigger picture, I think, is important. Not Not just seeing a short time span but trying to see yourself in the context of a much, much bigger picture. I do have one question that I, and I know this is kind of, this kind of brings it back up to, to the universal level. Time. Does it exist? Does it exist? Are your past lives really in the past or are they happening at now. the same time now in the present? And what is the future? How, how have you started to grapple with that question? My experience is that I'm living in the past, the present, and the future all at once. 
time has been collapsed for me, of course, it comes in and out. It's like, you know, uh, sometimes I, I put on the glasses and I'm very focused on the now because one has to be. And then at other times, I'm having conver- I'm recalling conversations, and then I'm thinking about the future of, of the work I see for myself in the future, which is more, which is a, a spiritual work. And so um, I think that in the ultimate sense, time does not exist. Also, when you are on that other plane, whatever we're going to call that other plane, between, between lives, um, time, time is in a t- doesn't exist there. It's in a totally different dimension. So um, we create time in order to have lives, have a linear narrative. But, uh, but you, you ultimately, I don't think it's a reality. But, but, but we have to live within that framework in order to achieve certain things that we have certain experiences. So, you know, you don't want to, you don't, you, you, we can't really live in the negation of time. Although I think, you know, when you, when you close your eyes, if anyone tries to meditate, the mind is all over the place. The mind is in the past, the mind is in the future. It's very hard to keep the mind focused on, on being present, which is what meditation tries to do. But how much of our time are we thinking about something that happened in the past, just within one life? So if you can see beyond, then you're not just thinking about one life. You're thinking about things that happened in the past, many pasts, but we're also planning for the future, you know, a future vacation, what you're going to do when you get home, you know, what you're going to do on the weekend. We're constantly in the future. So that's the near future. Well, some people, they're in the not-so-near future. So, you know, we can look at time in many ways. I'm thinking of the law of attraction and the the idea that your thoughts and emotions create your reality. And and in order to do that, um, you, at least for me, I, I meditate and I bring in what I want as if it were already here. Meaning I, I take on the, the emotion, let's say I, um, most recently was having my family, having my baby uh, join us and experiencing that down to the detail, the emotions, the the visual imagery, all of that in the present moment in order to bring that into my reality. Do you see that as kind of in relation to this topic of time, past, present, and future in the now and is this something that you are familiar with in practice? Well, many people say that we we create the world. The mind is very powerful. We are we are the creator in many ways. Nothing is imposed upon us. There's nobody karma is not a punishment. It's something that we have created in the person and we choose the moment to fulfill it for our own learning. So everything comes for own learning. So the, 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 the attraction is the mind can bring to it, and the stronger the mental capability, the easier it is for the mind to do this, to create what it, what it seeks to create. Uh, I think that's a, that's a um, when we really learn how powerful the mind is and how it can create, it does create one's reality, uh, I think 
you know, everything kind of shifts for us. And of course, you know, the, the great spiritual mentors who we, who we uh, honor so much, they know that. I wanted to say one more thing about time, though. Uh, in one of the chapters toward the end of the book, I recount my previous death and then the time between lives. The thing that stayed with me the most is that it felt like I had just been there two or three days when, in fact, 10 years had passed on Earth. So I remember the feeling that, okay, I was going to be born again. You know, I was being called into a, the conditions were right. Um, I was being called into that karmic conditions had been set as being called there. But I had just arrived. I wasn't ready to go. It's, it's considered a relatively short stay, 10 years in, the, in that in-between world. So, the, so the, then again, time. It felt like, like I just arrived, but 10 years had passed. So if I'd been on, down on Earth, 10 years doesn't feel like a short time, 10 years. Although now when you look back, we think 10 years ago, well, it does seem like yesterday. But time, time 10 years is a, is, a, is a good chunk of time. So, so there's a real, you know, it's how we perceive time. Um, you know, it's the mind, again, the mind. It all comes back to the mind. My last question is this notion of us as creators. How do you see the concept of creation, of the mind, of spiritual um, knowledge or truth, whatever that may be, impacting what education could look like in our current society? I think that what is needed now in education is for young people to develop their intuitive mind. There's been a lot of focus on the rational mind, um, the, the logical mind, and that's guided our civilization, really, for the last few hundred years, more. Um, but the, the, the spiritual knowing is the intuitive sense, um, and that's very important for us to evolve spiritually, to develop the... That's what meditation does, really. It develops your intuitive sense. Um, I describe certain things at the beginning of the book where I was beginning to have experiences of um, meeting somebody and knowing that they were having an affair or actually hearing about somebody and knowing they were having an affair with ne- without having met the person. It just... That, that awareness emerged. That person's having an affair. That, that, that's just intuitive knowing. And that was beginning to happen to me at a certain point. Less so now, but on occasion it still happens where you just know something and then it happens. There was another experience at the beginning of the book that I talk about. Um, when, when I heard a roof falling in and I went looking thinking it was my roof, it, there, there was a roof that collapsed in the next town. And it, in the middle of the night, I heard it, I knew it, and woke up. So... Um, the ability to know things in a way that can't be described in a rational way, that's an important faculty. I think that guides all invention. I think that guides scientific innovation. I think what's the, what, what creates that breakthrough, the aha moment? And so it, that guides creative activity. And so to bring that into, into children, for them to... Um, to be able to look at their dreams, to to not dismiss their dreams, to kind of understand some of their interior life through the dreams, to help young people 
become aware of an interior life. I think those are all important things, and I think it's begun because th- there is some effort to do yoga in the schools, to do mindfulness in the, in the uh, young young ages in the schools. So I think that there's an awareness that that um, these also help young people balance their emotions. Yoga and meditation, it's a, it, it creates um, a greater balance within the hormones and the emotions. So um, I think education, like every other field, is going through its transition. Old way of thinking versus new way of thinking. And I think it's just going to be a matter of time before new, new uh, articulations emerge. That's going to be an exciting time. I can't wait to see what schools look like or even just the the way we parent is very different now, or at least there are so many different resources about how to cultivate this kind of mindful, conscious, intuitive mind in kids. Um, Dina, we've covered so many amazing things, and I know that we can continue talking about so many more. I have lists of questions, um, but how can people get in touch with you or uh, find out more about your work? Well, there's a website. The organization that I run is called the Global Peace Initiative of Women, and the website is gpiw.org. There's also a Facebook page. Uh, I have a Facebook page, and GPIW has a Facebook page. And the book, My Journey Through Time, is on Amazon and Kindle. You can get it on Kindle through Amazon. Beautiful. Any final thoughts for our listeners? I hope that um, even if they don't read the book, just hearing our podcast will help people be more reflective and think differently about death and about their journey onward, knowing that it's an ongoing journey, there's a past, and there's a future. And it's essentially a journey of awakening and learning and a joyful journey. And that's an important thing to remember. What's stayed with me from my different lives has been the love that I've shared with people, the love that I felt through, through guides. And I think to keep, to know that, that there's, that love um, guides us forward and um, remains with us is, a, is very important. And I hope that brings comfort to people. Beautiful. Thank you. Dina, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show, and thank you so much for having the courage to share uh, your story in this book. It's just incredibly fascinating. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a wonderful discussion. And for you, I'd say take Dina's words and look at where you can bring love into your life. Look at the relationships. Maybe it's someone that you're you know, feeling a bit irritated by or annoyed by, uh, take it, take a step back and take a look at maybe there's some karmic perspective you can add and what would it look like if you were to bring love in. I'm your host, Julie Chan, and until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. 
This show is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.